Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Uh, unfortunately, Ollie couldn't be here today. Um, I mean, I receiving live updates from his missus, I think he might be asleep. Do we make a joke out of this? I think we do. We've got to. Okay. A few moments later. Ollie, what? Callum's texting asking where you are. Who's Callum? Callum's in the nurse. It's um, 20 to 7 and we should have been doing the podcast at 6. Oh, good. podcast by the formula nerds my name is sam and this week we're covering the review of the spanish grand prix i am joined with the ever reliable callum and abby ollie ollie apparently is asleep um so you know these things happen i think the spanish gp was a little bit too much for him bless his heart he's just had a long day long week he's just got to rest his little eyes hasn't he Blessing. You know what? I, th- I think the start was so was so entertaining. There was so much going on. There was like a sugar rush, and he crashed afterwards. And just you know, I mean, I certainly felt a little bit in the second half of the race. Started to feel a bit like, Whoa. but uh, I mean, as a seasoned F1 fan, I would expect him to know how that feels. He's had years of riding that dragon. I'd, uh, I'd think he'd be able to hack it by now, but clearly not. But Abby, Callum, how are you both? Abby, you first. I'm good. I'm very nearly asleep myself. I had a very late night, but I thought I'd be here to talk about today's race, which exceeded my expectations for the Spanish Grand Prix. Good stuff. And Callum, looking gleeful. I am gleeful, mate. Every every result I wanted in F1 today happened. That's not true. Apart from one. There was one result that I'm disappointed with, but everything else, it went my way. Um... So yeah, I'm buzzing, mate. I'm happy. So for, for those of you who maybe didn't listen to the Miami race review, um, towards the end of that podcast, we started turning our attention towards the Spanish Grand Prix. And by traditional standards, Spain and Monaco is kind of a, a you know early season ball fest double header. And so we're talking about, you know, is it going to be the same old Spanish Grand Prix? Will it be a better kind of Will it be a good chance to test the regulations, see if they're really working, so on and so forth? And Callum threw out a a hot take, in my opinion, that he thought it was going to be a bona fide, legitimately entertaining race. Oh, so I I remember that now. Yeah, I was right, wasn't I, Sam? I think, and as I said earlier, my representatives their their comment, official comment on this, is that you got lucky by chance and circumstance and instance. 
there were lots of things that kind of went your way to make it a more entertaining race than it would have been. In terms of, and I stand by that. In terms of like wheel to wheel track, on, you know, on track action, really the best we got was, I mean, Alonso had a great move, and George Russell, Max Verstappen. Other than that, I'll let you guys tell me if I'm wrong, but there wasn't a huge amount of it. There was more. In, listen, Spain's never ever going to be that track that everyone looks forward to every single season. Just the layout makes it impossible. But what we saw this season, this race today, compared to previous seasons where Hamilton just drives off into the distance and wins, was streets ahead of that. We saw actual wheel-to-wheel racing, all up and down the grid as well, may I add. There was only probably the Williams that didn't really get involved too much. The rest of the grid were on form, I felt. like There was a lot of action going on, really enjoyable, Obviously, there's drama added in as well, which helped the overall excitement of the race. I won't gloss over that. But I do feel that the the actual on-track racing action was so much better than we've ever seen in Spain. You've got got to admit that. I will acquiesce that it was a very entertaining Spanish Grand Prix by Spanish Grand Prix standards. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Just eat the humble pie. No, 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 no. You got lucky. You got lucky. Just, 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 I called it, mate, a week ago before we saw any cars on track. I called it. And I, I hate being smug. I really do. Do you? It doesn't seem like you, it doesn't seem like you hate being smug right now. (laughs) I mean, everyone watching this on YouTube will see I'm clearly not feeling this way, but I don't care. I'm loving it. I'm right. You're wrong. (laughs) Abby, I'm really sorry, but I think you're going to have to play moderator here. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's quite fun watching you two go back and forth and have this little spat um yeah knowing the history of the spanish grand prix i wasn't expecting much action but it did exceed it like callum said all the drama on track and the racing the close battles we had and it wasn't just the driver in the lead racing off into the sunset maintaining it we did see lots of battles which did make it more exciting but then we had the incidents as well, which I guess um, is then down to luck, which then adds to the excitement. So, you're, yeah, you're both kind of right, I think. No, 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 no. Don't sit on the fence, Abby. <laughs> I'm, like, well, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to admit that on balance, it's probably swinging Ollie's way, uh, sorry, Cal's way. Um, but it's not the slam dunk that you're, you're making it out to be, mate. No, no, it wasn't. And I must concede that. Let, let's actually get into the race a little bit now I feel like we're just having an argument but (laughs) I I do want to touch on the start of the race now this is where quite a bit of drama happened I want to say say the first what is it six or seven laps obviously down into turn one literally first lap Hamilton and Magnussen get mixed up it may have been further on than turn one I can't exactly remember the exact turn it was turn four there you go, turn four. Really early on into the race, Hamilton Magnussen get mixed up. <laughs> to be fair to Magnussen, he was going for a crackingly brave move. Early on in the race, really trying to stamp his authority, Hamilton just sort of understood and washed out into him. And it, it was classed as a racing incident. Pretty much ruined the race for both of them at that point. They were both sat last. Um both incidentally pitted as well straight away so that threw out any strategy 
Um, so yeah, that that was quite a bit of drama at the start. And that, that was particularly damning for Hamilton because obviously he was the only driver on the on the grid on the alternate strategy. So he was starting on the mediums, and oh, I don't know. It's it's risky when and obviously you don't know until you kind of you know on the grid. But that was just begging for him to be swallowed up by the pack behind him. He he had to ace that start. He had to be super aggressive, and it's difficult to get those those medium tires kind of in the right range when everyone else else around you is on softs which are you know more reactive straight off the bounce so yeah i mean that was difficult and also turn four it's tripped a few people out this weekend and we'll get onto that in terms of you know the kind of the the f1 guys but yuri vips had a, a really unfortunate incident there uh this morning in the f2 race so yeah turn four is a is a difficult spot and yeah it just looked like he just didn't have the grip um at that stage, four, four corners in. Touching on starting on the mediums, this has only just occurred to me, but maybe it was because the temperatures were abnormally high for Spain. Now, we all know Spain's quite a warm warm country, but usually when they go in May, it's not like peak summer temperatures, whereas today it was. Um, any data they had previously had from testing was just blown out of the water, like they're pretty much useless at this point because it was that much warmer. Were Mercedes trying the alternate strategy because they felt like the softs would overheat and degrade so quickly that Hamilton would end up just in the lead? Maybe doing a medium-hard one-stop race. You know, maybe that was the thought process. We'll never know now, but I don't think that would have been a bad call had he gone through and the softs, obviously the softs never overheated that much, but that could have been the thought process. Honestly, with the step forward in pace that we've seen them make over the weekend, I think they probably felt that you know what we've got some we've got some wiggle room here. We've got some space to experiment a little bit because even putting Hamilton on an alternate strategy, you're you're looking at that and you're probably pretty confident you're going to get a top six finish. Which from where they'd been in the previous races, it's kind of no harm no foul. Like they don't lose anything by finishing fifth and sixth. So. I get why they did that. Now was the time to do it. It just unfortunately kind of didn't materialise in the way they they way they would have wanted to. But yeah, it was it was it was tricky conditions as well. Like I'm pretty sure there was a tailwind. So yeah, the conditions were quite gusty in Spain today, and turn four proved to be a little bit of an anomaly for two drivers. First, it happened to Signs going into turn four literally on his own. Bang spins out in the gravel and we're like god he's he's so useless at the moment like everyone jumped on his back straight away with like calling him out saying ah he'll be out of ferrari by the end of the season and what two or three laps later the world champion goes and does it um yeah it was just a horrific tailwind going into turn four obviously you're putting a lot of load into the tires at that point and if the car becomes unstable at any point just one big gust of wind just sends it over and Martin Brundle made a very good point as to why this happens. And that's because when you're really pushing, the car is so long, it's like over five metres long. And when it's full of fuel, it becomes like a pendulum. So if the back end sort of gets any sort of lift or anything, so the wind would have caused it to lift slightly, bang, it's just spun round straight away. Um, literally nothing either driver could do about it. Not their fault, just a freak incident. Um, but yeah. 
that sort of really put a cat amongst the pigeons in terms of Verstappen's race especially. And then signs. where did he come back out? He was like outside the top 10. And you touched upon something I think quite interesting there, Cal, with talking about science. And unfortunately for him, and you're right in saying that straight away everyone kind of jumped on his back and were like, oh, you know, this typical science, like where's his head at at the moment, so on and so forth. And yeah, it could be a legitimately fair, you know, a, a legit kind of fair enough mistake that other people are making as well. But it's almost a kind of boy who cried wolf scenario where he's made so many of these mistakes or been involved in so many little incidents. And even turn one, he ended up kind of him, George and uh, him, Russell and Perez kind of all kind of all touched slightly. I think Perez kind of got sandwiched between the, the, the two of them, albeit kind of diagonally. None of them were that close to each other. And he needs to address that because when you have bad luck, you have, you have bad luck in F1. Like nothing goes your way. And he is right in the middle of one of these uh, kind of, you know, downturns. And he, yeah, something has to give because if they get much further into the championship and he isn't firing all cylinders, they're really going to start losing ground to Red Bull. Yeah, I think, especially with it being his home race, obviously, there's that added pressure. But then in front of your home crowd, that they, they say it does add like half a second or something to lap time. But you mentioned the start of the race for science getting off the line he went into anti-stall as well so he didn't have a great start and then the contact with Perez and then the spinning so I don't know whether that messed with his head or not but we saw later on with the race the problems that Ferrari had with Leclerc and that so it wasn't a great weekend and science hasn't been that great since he signed his new contract in the last couple of Grand Prix, we've seen him involved in incidents. So I get why there is speculation about whether he'll be with Ferrari for much longer, but he does need to improve and prove his worth like he did last year. Absolutely. And you know what? I kind of feel sorry for him a little bit, and I've been one of those people jumping on his back. I feel like it's just the done thing when someone's having bad luck and having a bad time of it. You, you naturally jump on the back. I think... He's trying, and that's the that's the main thing he can do. The problem is he's in a, he's in a Ferrari, that adds its own pressure straight away. And I've spoken about this on previous episodes. Go back and listen. The issue he's having right now is, like Sam said, he's got a monkey on his back. He's got the bad luck following him wherever he goes. Literally magnetized to incidents. Like most of these incidents aren't actually his fault. Let's be honest. The turn one incident with Perez innocent bystander because Perez actually had contact with Russell in front and that caused signs to hit Perez the 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 tailwind incident into turn four happened to the world champion it, again innocent bystander it's just luck of the draw he the end result of today's race I honestly think was the best call or signs could have done with the cards he'd been dealt I honestly truly believe that and I'm one of the people who's been on his back do I think he'll have a seat at the end of the season? Honestly, depends if Ferrari see it in the same way we're discussing it now. That is truly it. If they see it as his fault or whether it's just an unfortunate event. Or sorry, a series of unfortunate events. It'll, it'll come out of it eventually and I do think there is pace there. He has great belief in himself. Carlos Sainz is one of those drivers. He believes he's the best on the grid. Absolutely does. And I think you've got to to be in the sport, but 
as time will come, I do believe that he's still young enough to, to sort of make an impact on this championship and we're only six races in. So, you know, you never know. Yeah, I think it's he's absolutely in a soft, in a soft spot at the moment and I would have liked to have seen him kind of clear that kind of slide a couple of races ago and it's just kind of progressively kind of, he hasn't really got on top of it. Um, and to, speaking more kind of F1 platitudes as you will if you will if you're not getting good results you're getting bad results really in f1 like it's very difficult to be like you know what you're about where we'd expect like you're you're on par you're kind of you know you're doing fine and it, it's not just the it's not just the results for him as well he was th- comfortably all weekend three tenths of charles and that isn't really what we were expecting coming into the season. His stock was high coming into the year and he hasn't come to terms with the new car as quickly. And he's looking like more of a number two driver at this stage than Perez is. Give, and, and Perez was, you know, was on the receiving end of team orders today. So, you know, it's, I think it says a lot. No, absolutely. And, yeah, last season I thought this guy, he's really going to put the the mark on Leclerc. Maybe even Leclerc will be second driver. Obviously, we've not seen that so far. I think Leclerc has naturally, uh, how do I want to say it, mated with the car better than Carlos has. You know, they they the, him and the car have a bond clearly, and Signs doesn't. Signs is struggling to woo that car. You know how Vettel calls all of his car. He gives them all female names, doesn't he? And he tries to be nice yeah, to them yeah, all season. Yeah. Like he's taking them on a season-long date. Signs is currently the guy who's like chewing with his mouth open, being a really awful date. Charles is wooing the car. Signs isn't, is basically what I'm trying to say. It'll happen. He just needs to start having some manners chewing with his mouth shut etc etc and I think it'll get there I really do not to overextend this metaphor past the point it's kind of worth as much as I'm enjoying it I think we talk about him getting kind of you know that that, you know monkey off his back he almost needs just he needs a one night stand he just needs a, a success where he just gets over that hump um there was not a pun intended there but yeah I think that will be the key thing. He just needs a result. Well, I still believe that Monaco is going to be an absolute awful race to watch for every single F1 fan. Don't know how we're still racing there. It'll be a convoy, basically. So if Signs can put it P1, P2 in quali, don't think he will at this moment in time, but you never know. That Ferrari was quick there last season. They, they seem to just have it right set up for quality at, uh, at Monaco I think Leclerc will win you know Sainz might end up with a P2 there Ferrari 1-2 to sort of come back at what happened this weekend would be a really good result for them and a really really good result for Sainz so yeah we'll know in a week basically yeah I think Monaco could demonstrate his performance and he does have the potential like you said going back to your metaphor he hasn't quite wooed with the car yet and that he has the potential he just needs to have the time to unlock it and when he does unlock it I think he will be up there matching pace with Leclerc but obviously we didn't see that this weekend so hopefully we will see it next week I mean 
just to touch on Monaco very quickly, if Cal thinks it's going to be a boring race, I'm going to go ahead and say it's going to be a 1996 style, like Olivier Panis surprise winner. It's going to be it's going to be one for the ages. I would love to see nothing more than that. Honestly, I would love nothing more than to see that. It's not going to happen though. The cars are too big. Simple fact: the cars are too big for Monaco now, and it, that's that's why they can't race there. It, it's better off being right. sort of like Indy Five Hundred qualifying <laughs> around Monaco. That's the only way to sort of do it. You're absolutely right that the cars are way too big. The cars are not Monaco in its current guys, or the cars in their current guys aren't fit for purpose with Monaco. They just it just doesn't work. However, I think you're going to get a situational, instant packed race that means that it is de facto entertaining, much like today was. That's my kind of angle. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the current era of F1 summed up, isn't it? Yes. It's just an incident packed, and that's what's entertaining is at the moment. These new regs are supposed to make the racing entertaining again. But when you have circuits there like Monaco, it doesn't matter what you're going to drive around if the car's that size, it's going to be boring. They just need to scrap Monaco. And also, it's it's a, like a fairly safe one-stopper, isn't it? Um, so, unless you get people doing kind of what Lewis did last year, where he... Didn't he go long and somehow ended up behind people? Oh, it, was, oh, it was just... That made no sense to me. And it, even he was confused as to how he was... Um, how he ended up in that position. But anyway, before we move on to, to Max and, and his similar instance signs, the... Big, big conversation coming into the, the weekend was the Green Bulls. Uh, and credit from a, from a PR marketing, just humour point of view, seeing all of the Red Bull guys with their green cans of Red Bull, very, very entertaining. But Cal, I know that you, you as a Red Bull fan are going to have some views on this. Yeah, I mean, come on. It's very, very, very close. I mean, Karun Chandok had them on the screen together and at first I was like oh, no nah, it's another it's another Mercedes gate where everyone believes they've copied it or inherited last year's car but I was like well these are new regs why would Red Bull be talking to Aston Martin why would anything sort of be changing hands there it wouldn't it's not like they're using their engines or anything like that there's no reason for them to sort of cross paths behind closed doors but then I looked at them on the screens and I was like Jesus, like that, that's so. That is the same car. Like the side pods are exactly the same. The floor along the side of the floor was exactly the same. I was just sort of thinking, well, surely there's something there that they've copied. Like it, the measurements and everything looked exact. Obviously, they didn't set it up right because they were still crap today. But Christ Almighty, like, what is it with Aston Martin and copying other cars? I'm going to go out there and say it. They copy other cars. Well, the, but the, this is the thing, and and whether or not IP passed over, and you know, the, Christian Horner went out and said that the FIA gave them a heads up beforehand. Was like, oh, yeah, by the way, we've got a car here that looks remarkably like yours. Uh, can we have a list of all your levers who then you know, go from last season, and so they can essentially see who has joined Aston Martin? You know, has someone moved stuff over on a, a on a pen drive, or have they just because? In fairness, what Christian Horner says as well, what people retain in their head is fair game. Which is fair enough. And, I mean, there's a few things to unpack here. 
you've also got to think about the fact that at the start of a new era, you are going to split your resources because there's lots of different philosophies. We see, we've seen Mercedes do it. Um, and yes, yeah, so, so you might do that. And also in this case, it's not, it doesn't work in the same way as a court of law does in the sense that the accuser has to prove that the defendant is guilty. There's, it's a little bit of both. The defendant has to prove they're innocent, but also Red Bull would have to prove that they they have evidence that their intellectual property has been taken. But just before I kick to you, Abby, Cal, your point about why does this keep on happening to this team? Yeah, fair enough. And also, on top of the whole pink Mercedes thing that obviously engulfed Racing Point a couple of years ago, a certain Martin Whitmarsh, who is now very high up at Aston Martin, was at McLaren during Spygate. Oh, God. Well, I think that's for another episode. But I do want to touch on one thing. There was a guy for Aston Martin. I can't remember his position. He was, like, high up in the engineering design sort of roles. Um, He was saying that they came into the season with two side pods. Fair enough. You know, we've seen Mercedes do it. That's fair enough. But the chances of two teams having the exact same side pods and floor set up, I'm not having any of it. I am not having any of it. I know the FIA dismissed it, but someone somewhere along the line, they'll never prove it, but someone somewhere along the line has left Red Bull and taken that design with them. And that's not in their head. There is no way they could remember the exact shape, size, everything. The amount of increments and measurements that go into engineering, especially a, a, a piece like a side pod and a floor, there's no way you're remembering all that off the top of your head. It's been exchanged, I'm telling you now. But again, this is another Conspiracy Theories podcast. Maybe Conspiracies Episode 3 is coming up sooner than we think. Because this, is, I am not going to lie down and take this. Abby, what, what, what are your views? A conspiracy or is it... There's a lot of fuss about nothing. Well, it is... We Side by side, they do kind of look like twins. It's just one's the Red Bull livery, one's the Aston Martin livery. But like you said, Sam, what people take in their heads and what they retain, you can't affect that. And people have a certain way of thinking about things. Like, if I was to design a car, I'm pretty sure it would be different to what you two would say and cows, yours would be different to Sam's ideas. So moving from Red Bull to Aston Martin, when you're at Red Bull, you're going to think of something one way. And when you're at Aston, you'll think of it that way as well. But, I mean, Horner said that copying is, well, imitation is the highest form of flattery. And it is, because that obviously means that they want to be like the Red Bull because their car works, they have the pace. But for Aston, we did see that they didn't do it quite as well because obviously they haven't had a very good weekend. I don't know whether information has been passed hand-to-hand. Red Bull said that they have security measures in place, that they know what software has been looked at and everything. But I agree with Cal. Like you said, you can't retain every piece of data that is needed for the Aston to look exactly like the Red Bull. So there is something dodgy and conspicuous going on there. But It's very fishy. I, I ultimately, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the, the voice of reason here, and say no, that. Of course, you are. Take the high ground, Sam. 
hey, I'm hosting. I'm, 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 I've, I've, I've got to be that person today. This is concrete evidence right here, this discussion. And you're, you're still going to oppose against me. This is just oh, a vendetta you have against me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've Ali. rattled him, ladies and gentlemen. I have rattled him. <laughs> no. <laughs> I just lost my... He's gone. I think that you can't... We don't know until we know. Nothing has been proven, and yes, the the whole kind of debate has died down, partly because Aston Martin had a kind of subdued weekend after everything that that was kind of spoken about on Friday. And I know people were starting to get kind of yeah a bit fed up of the story. Aston Martin said there was no further comment, which I think is fair enough at this stage. But if the FIA are happy and Aston Martin have can prove that they had that concept in the works as early as November, which is what they, their official line is, then I think we've got to go with that until we know know anything more. Um, and yeah, so I'm being the voice of reason and I think Cal disagrees with me purely because I'm being the voice of reason here and he likes to be controversial. Yeah, I do. <laughs> but let's cut to the race. See what I did there? Um, and back to the, well, increasingly uh, infamous turn four and Max Verstappen's uh, go on the, well, spin around, merry-go-round, whatever it was that was uh, occurring there. The um, invisible teacups, I think is what we shall name it. Yes, yeah, no, let, let's go with that. Um, yeah, so lap nine, Max not not quite as badly as as Carlos did, but stuck it in the gravel. And well, no, because even even when Max Verstappen goes off track, he does it in a world class manner. Like he just, oh come on! Just... What about Hungary twenty twenty on the way to the grid? Still, yeah, was that world class? No, of course it was. Yeah, because the no, pit crew saved him. The world class pit crew saved him. The world the world class pit crew saved the less than world class incident. But anyway. It basically ruined Max's race, as far as we were aware at that point. And then things just went from bad to worse for him. Yeah, I mean, Christ almighty, this was horrible to watch for me. So at this point, he's behind George Russell and Perez. Perez went a long way on his first stint. Pitted. Um, At this point, he's sort of trying to tail Leclerc not having any joy because Leclerc pulled out a nice lead. Um, Perez pits. It's then Max trying to chase down George. The problem was, this looked like a pretty clear cut. Max has more pace. He's going to get him. Except for the DRS on Max Verstappen's car. Now, they'd had issues with this all weekend. And from my eye, it looked like when it was opening, going into a headwind, the wind was just shutting it. It was so, but it was so intermittent because on the DRS straight on, I think going down to turn 10, it was fine, which was a tailwind. So it was a very, very sort of strange intermittent issue. After about, I'm going to say 10 laps, plucking that out of thin air, the, the issue sort of stopped because he was going into the final corner, pressing the, mashing the DRS button absolutely mashing it 50 odd times I think we heard on the radio that problem was it was working and sometimes he was pressing it and not on others so essentially he was opening it and closing it straight away 
So the team eventually came over the radio and said, look, press it after the curving and just press it once and see see what happens then. It, it didn't seem to sort it out. Um, eventually, I think Max pitted for different tyres and we got around that issue. But yeah, Abby. It was quite enjoyable to watch, especially since he was battling a Mercedes. And the battle between Max and George was amazing because George placed his car with brilliant precision. He defended like a line. It was amazing to watch. But I did feel a bit sorry for Max because it was so intermittent that he thought it was open and it wasn't open and it just kept opening and closing. And like you said, he hit the button like 50 times and you could see or hear over the radio how stressed and frustrated he was getting, especially with his engineer and that. It kind of... It kind of sounded like a teacher talking to a child going, no, you need to do this. But he just, it didn't seem like he was listening that much. And I get why, because it is frustrating because he is the defending world champion and DRS is supposed to be working. And we saw Red Bull before the race trying to fix Max's rear wing as well. So, yeah, but it was a good, it provided a good battle on track, which I was happy about, so. Yeah, but for me, Max has to keep his cool better there. And what I reckon that part of the problem could could well have been is, have you guys ever had, you know, the old iPhones where the, it had the kind of actual physical button and sometimes it would break and you it would sometimes work, but sometimes not. So you had to kind of use the little things so you had the, bu- the home button on your actual screen. It was almost a little bit like that. It was like the button wasn't working properly. And it could have been as simple as that, but... I'm no engineer, um, so who knows what the issue is. But it's a little bit like with, I remember at school when computers were being slowly, my teacher would always say, you know, don't click loads of buttons because a computer's like an old person trying to cross the road. The more you kind of, you know, hurry it, the more flustered it will get, or they will get. And, you know, you don't want to scare them. So I think really this was what was going on for Max. He was just getting so frustrated it was half the issue was that he was potentially ending up closing the DRS himself by overpressing it. So he's got to keep his cool better. You're, you're only going to go backwards when you're acting like that. Like you're swearing down the down the team radio. He's a world champion. It it was a little bit awkward to kind of listen to. You kind of was a child throwing their toys out the pram. And I totally get the frustration, but I think had he dealt with it better, he could have made the move sooner. That said, we've got to talk about Red Bull's ability to adapt. World car, world class race strategy, say. The, the way they were able to think on the fly, turn the strategy on its head, and ultimately, yeah, totally kind of save their day was really, really impressive and the mark of a championship team. And I think the rest of the, the rest of the paddock needs to kind of be on notice for that, especially Ferrari uh, heading into the rest of the season. So I agree Max needs to keep his head a little bit more. Like that was unprofessional, lost his head. End of the day, the result is what matters. Smug face. But I do want to point out there is a six-time or seven times, sorry, world champion on the grid. And what did he say a couple of laps into the race, Sam? Oh, I think we should save the engine, guys. 
He'd literally given up three laps in because he'd had a little incident into turn one. So even a seven-time world champion has these moments where they're flustered, they're agitated, they're stressed, they want to give up. It happens. Max is a little bit more common, (laughs) I'll admit, in that fact. He does lose his head very quickly, but he's young. He's fiery. It is what it is. For me, this is what makes me a fan of him. I love that aggression and that character behind the steering wheel and what he brings to the table. But yeah, absolutely. The rest of... The rest of the paddock needs to be on notice as well for what happened today. Like They really should not have come out with the result that they did today. They really shouldn't have done. Ferrari, reliability, Mercedes pace, so many factors. Max going off the circuit that they shouldn't have come out with the result they did, and they did. So, you know, it's very hard to see any other result by the end of the season now, to be honest, other than Red Bull. I as a, I see the Hamilton radio clip that Cal's referring to differently. Abby, as a Mercedes fan, do you see it differently as well? Yeah, I think Barcelona is known for having limited opportun- limited overtaking opportunities. It is a hard track to get in front. So I think for Lewis, it was kind of, I have a puncture. I've just changed tyres in the pits. I'm now at the back of the field. I don't really see what we can do if I were to push and use turn up the engine and use all this power. I th- think he was thinking it could kind of be detrimental to that power unit. So he wanted to save it for another race where there is more overtaking opportunities. But obviously that changed and he managed to get through the field. So I, I don't think he was necessarily like being defeated and giving up. I think he was just thinking logically. That's, and that's exactly how I, I see it. I think he was being rational in that moment and thinking long-term, thinking ahead. And yeah, there was obviously a little bit of kind of, you know, sour person in the sense that he hadn't had the start to the race that he wanted. I do think he thought he had damage. But I also think he'd be the first person to admit that he he was ultimately wrong at the end of the day. And I don't think it's as simple as it's solely about the result. I think the the way that you get there matters as well. You know, the the ends don't justify the means in that sense. But I think he... But also, if you just listen to his, how, how he addressed that situation, how he put it to his team, entirely different from Max. It was calm, composed, guys, look, I think we should save the engine and here's why. It wasn't F this, F that, this isn't good enough, what the F, so on and so forth, which was you know, which was Max's approach today. And I, I think I think there's something in that. Let, let's be honest, that's always been Max's approach. And when his back's against the wall like it was today, I don't think that'll ever change. He could be 37 like Lewis, and I think that'll still be his, his approach and his attitude. That is just who he is. That's in his DNA. What I will say is the Red Bull team seems to have a really good handle on how to coach Max in that situation, how to get the best from him when he's being aggressive, when he's driving the car angry, because there was slight mistakes being made while he was driving angry, and it was affecting his driving. So... I think the team did a fantastic job in keeping him level-headed 
and getting him through that phase of the race because we all know that Lewis Hamilton wouldn't be where he is now without Bono. Let's face it, Bono is an unsung hero for Hamilton's victories at Mercedes. Like A lot of them are down to that strategy and Bono coaching him over the radio. The same thing is going to be said in years to come with Max Verstappen and his radio team. I'd just like to point that out. Max is never going to change. Never going to change. And that's fair enough, but really, I actually think that they 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 won the day and they did the right thing by actually taking Max out of that scenario because I think what they were trying to do to coach him through that wasn't working. He kept on making mistakes and admittedly he came up against a fantastic piece of defensive driving from George over a number of laps. Absolutely sensational. He was George, brilliant. George was absolutely phenomenal. As a Max fan, George was phenomenal. And it's funny because... You know, you'd think that George, having spent three years in a Williams, would be pretty good at trying to defend positions, but we never get to see that. With Williams being at the back of the field, the the camera's never on those scenarios when George is in that situation. So it was was really refreshing for us as as viewers to go, you know what? I didn't didn't necessarily know that George had had this in his locker. So that was, again, a real revelation from, from today. And... Everyone was saying, on the contrary, like, I really, I really hope we get to see more of this. We we want a Mercedes that is competitive because, as Lewis Hamilton starts, you know, looking towards retirement over the next few years, George will be the one holding that candle for Mercedes, and we already know that. A Max is going to be with Red Bull for the foreseeable future, and B, that most likely that Red Bull is going to be competitive. So, I thought that was one of the massive massive positives of the race not only that it was the best on track action but also it really kind of previewed what we can enjoy in the years to come yeah absolutely you know what i i am also glad mercedes are doing well i hated them last season not gonna lie absolutely despised them this year you know they got it wrong at the start of the season but the the fact that they've turned it not well, say turned it around They've become semi-competitive after six races is is phenomenal. It's a phenomenal feat and no one can deny that. I hope, genuinely hope that in the races to come, we see three-way battles for each race. I want to see Russell, Verstappen, Leclerc going at it lap after lap after lap. Imagine adding that mix into like Bahrain, for example, at the start, before Max retired, that was a really, really spicy race. Those two going at it, it was phenomenal. Imagine Russell being in the mix as well, or Hamilton. It'd be fantastic. we want to see that, right? Absolutely. And Cal, one question you asked, in fact, a few of us the other day on Team Chat was, when was the last time we saw a three-way title fight for the Constructors? And I answered the question slightly differently. I answered it from a driver's championship perspective. But for those of you old, old enough to remember, 2003, we had Juan Pablo Montoya and Williams, Kimi Raikkonen and McLaren, going up against you know the imperious Michael Schumacher and a Ferrari. And they all finished you know only a few points apart from each other. And that was a brilliant season because of it. 2010, we had five drivers in, in with a shout. So that was probably the nearest comparison to what we could potentially see over the the next few years. And those were, in my view, classic seasons because of it. So we could be at the dawn of another really exciting era. 
Abby, what are your thoughts? These new regulations, they're supposed to promote closer racing. And yes, they have done that. But at the beginning of the season, I was a bit disappointed because it was just a two-way constructor battle between Red Bull and Ferrari. But now Mercedes have made these upgrades and they are improving. And we have seen Russell fight at the front with Max and having all three of them there, it has made it more exciting. And I do hope that it carries on because I don't just want to see Red Bull versus Ferrari. I do want to see Mercedes in the mix. And it makes it a lot more entertaining and a lot more exciting for us fans and for the drivers as well, I can imagine. You know what I want to see? I want to see a three-way battle at the front and I want to see Max finishing third on the podium after 50-odd laps of sheer battling against Russell and Leclerc. That may the best man win. At that point, as a Verstappen fan, I would be proud to see him in third because I know he'd have given it everything he had. I'd have seen a fantastic race and I know the best man in that race would have won. And that that is what every F1 fan wants to see. You know, it, I hope that happens. To be honest, I don't think we'll see it regularly until next season. But it will happen eventually. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think we are definitely... Heading towards that, I think you'd be silly to count Mercedes out long term, even if this season is maybe slightly far, you know, too far away from them this stage. But what the brilliance of uh, sorry, Cal's just le- leant forward and stuck so, his face right. Sorry, in his camera. I was adjusting my chair and then I realised <laughs> where I was in camera, so I thought, you know, what, I'm going to look the camera dead in the eye and freak you both out. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, he's he's trying to get in my head again. But what I was going to say is part of the brilliance of today was that you had Max going at George for a few laps and he ultimately didn't pass. He didn't make that move. And I think it's easy to conflate overtaking with good racing. And yes, the regs have promoted overtaking and closer racing, but they've been better at promoting overtaking and the closer racing is still the bit that's developing. And that's and sometimes you want to see people fail. You don't want to go, you know what, it's going to take them a couple of laps, but ultimately they will do it and it's a, it's a foregone conclusion. We know that's going to happen. And that is also kind of what set up a really, really intriguing strategic part element to the race day where Pirelli, their view of the strategy turned out to be actually fairly inaccurate and you know I, th- I think we've probably already touched upon the the unseasonably warm temperatures that we had in Spain this weekend but by Max kind of giving up the or his team saying like look we need to change strategy here he pivoted to a two at least a two stop to then become a three stop race and it opened up all kinds of possibilities to the rest of the field which ultimately led to for me, the 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 most disappointing part of the race, which was Red Bull team orders. Are you ready to launch your new career in coding? Treehouse has one of the best and most affordable online classrooms for you. At Treehouse, we've rethought the learning process and built a proven system to get you the skills and knowledge you need to achieve your career goals. When you're done with the course, you haven't just watched a video. You learned, practiced, and absorbed a concept. Choose to build a portfolio, create a network, and land your dream job with our bootcamp-style tech degree program. Land a dev job this year. Whatever your goals, we'll get you there. Get 50% off your first month as a podcast listener through our special discount link. 
treehouse.com forward slash sign up underscore code forward slash podcorn courses. That's treehouse.com forward slash sign up underscore code forward slash podcorn courses. You can also find this link in our show notes. Abby, I know you feel quite strongly about team orders. So do you want to take us away on this one? Well, at the beginning, you had Max was ahead of Perez. And Perez asked over the radio, he said, can I go past? Because he, one, had working DRS, unlike Max. He was on fresher tyres and he had faster lap times. Therefore, surely the most logical thing to do is to let Perez past. But that didn't happen. And then later in the race, we had Red Bull tell Perez to let Max pass. And Perez did. He did say it was unfair, but he did let him pass. And after the race, you could see in the interview, he said, I let him pass thinking that I would get it back. But he never did. Now, I think it's a bit early in the season to be calling team orders, especially since Perez was doing so well as well. And I I felt really sorry for him because he could have potentially gotten the race win but he didn't obviously with the two-stop strategy and Red Bull focusing more on Max to get ahead so I really didn't like what Red Bull did there to Perez me neither to be honest um I think six races into the season is is way too early to be calling on um you know team orders the only sort of thing I can see why they done it is if Max had have finished second, I don't think he'd have overtaken Charles in the in the drivers' championship. Maybe that is the only reason that factored that decision in. Obviously, Red Bull have denied any sort of reason as to why that is is there. They've sort of said, "Well, it was the strategy." Fair enough, if that's the case. I still think it was wrong, but I do want to point out that the pace Max had as he was letting Perez, as Perez was letting him through, was substantially faster than any other car on track. I think the move was inevitable. And I think Red Bull made that call to save time for both drivers, to save tyres for both drivers, to secure that one-two. Because we both know Max isn't going to sit behind Perez. And he had the pace. He was just going to go past him at some point. So, yeah. See, that's why, that, that's why I think it was such a strange decision. Because, Cal, you're absolutely right. Max had the pace at that stage. Even without DRS or DRS you know, being difficult for him, he could have and probably would have made that move anyway. So it's a bit like Austria 2002 when the Ferrari switched Barrichello and, and Schumacher. There was just no need to do it. And the context is slightly different. Schumacher was running away with the title that year already and it just it was clunky, it looked bad. But this one, I honestly think Max would have made that move anyway. So why create the controversy? And Christian Horner's come out and said, look, there was oil temperatures, water temperatures, all these things that we were trying to manage. And yes, they were on different strategies. But it just, for the sake of a few points at this stage of the season... I, I, I'm not sure it kind of really makes sense. It's a it's a semantics thing, and the perception is pretty poor um, to be doing that this this point of the season. And you also need Perez, who at this stage isn't a second driver at this point at this point of the year. I think it's a, it's too 
it's too early to call that for him, especially as he's, in relative terms, closed the gap between him and Max this year. But you need him on side and you need him willing to make those or kind of, you know, concede in those types of situations later in the year when you do have a legitimately tight championship going down to the wire. We're only six rounds in. It could be a blowout by the time we get to round 19 or 20. I, I do believe it was damage limitation. The more I think about it, I, I do believe that. I think Max, you're right, had the pace. He would have gone for the move regardless of the situation in front of him. That is just Max Verstappen. But we've got to remember that Perez is one of the best defensive drivers on the grid. He wouldn't have yielded just because it's Max and his teammate. He would have tried everything to keep Max behind him. That is one of the battles we've actually not seen, is a Max versus Perez battle. I think we've got one of the better defenders on the grid versus one of the better overtakers on the grid. Red Bull will look at that, and that will absolutely send the shitters up them, because they're thinking, oh God, into turn one, imagine if they both just spin off and then George Russell goes through. I think they're thinking, well, let's prevent the inevitable, let Verstappen through, and just keep everyone happy. Obviously, Perez isn't happy, but at the end of the day, Peter is where he's going to end up. Let's face it. See, as you were think, as you were speaking there, I was kind of thinking, yeah, but Perez is an elder statesman in the sport. He's respectable. He's mature. He wouldn't get involved in those kind of inter-team tussles. And then I remember 2018 and raising a point and how kind of tense it got with Ocon. So, you know, you two, what are your views? Do you think he would have learnt from that? Or do you think do you think Ocon was more to blame and Perez was the passenger in, in that kind of dynamic there? Would that translate to Red Bull? I don't know. Ultimately, do you think they could have fought reasonably and Perez know when to give it up? Or do you think it would have come to blows? I think... Eventually, Perez would have had to have yielded. The team would have got involved. The team wouldn't let it go that far for us to find that out, I don't think, organically. And I honestly believe that regardless of the situation, Max isn't going to yield and sit behind. And it's going to take a few laps for Perez to realise that. So, Red Bull are just preventing a messy occasion. I do believe that in future races when Perez is you know, eventually there's going to come a point where Max has a grid penalty or something and he's not in that prime position. At that point, Perez will become Red Bull's responsibility and Perez will get that race win if they have the fastest car. And I think his time will come. He will get a win this season. I don't think Max is going to win every race he finishes, although at this moment in time he has done. I just can't see it happening. Today was a very, very lucky affair for Max Verstappen. Um, I can't see that record lasting all season. And I, I honestly, I think Perez has got two or three wins in him this season. Yeah, I I agree. I think Perez would have learned from the past, but we know that Max doesn't yield. If he was to battle Perez, both of them would battle, both of them would try and defend their place. But I agree with Cal, Perez would eventually yield. But like you said, Red Bull, they don't, they want to do damage limitation. They don't want to see both their drivers battle each other on track and then end up crashing or having a collision and then both of them DNFing like they did earlier this season because then that's not good for them at all because they don't get any points. But 
I would like to see Perez and Max actually battle this season. I think that would be really enjoyable to watch. Um, but yeah, Perez would ultimately yield at some point. I, th- I think they're going to have to be in a safe position championship-wise to let them battle. Uh, I can't see it happening while Ferrari is still very much competitive and very like in the get in the race for it. It's it's not going to happen, unfortunately. T- team orders are probably going to happen throughout the season. But I believe team orders will happen for the prime driver. So, for example, if Max Verstappen has a grid penalty but ends up sort of running in P2, Perez will get that victory. It's immoral to swap them at that point. Do you know what I mean? I think that's how it's going to go this season. Yeah, but is how much how much morality is there in high you know high stakes sport? You know, this is the pinnacle of motorsport. I, I yeah yeah I just I don't know. I think you've got to be real. You're realistic about kind of these things, and I think yeah, as you say, I think it'll be prevalent throughout the season. One thing we really didn't get a chance to see though was whether Ferrari could translate. I mean, okay, we saw it a little bit with with Charles, but if they could translate that. Friday and Saturday pace into ultimate Sunday pace. And it looked like Charles was well on his way to winning here. Do you think that's worrying for Red Bull? Do you think the scales are starting to kind of even out? Because Red Bull certainly looked stronger over the last few weekends. Uh, Yes and no. I think Charles had a very, obviously, very clean race start and he was pulling the way, but I definitely believe the Ferrari isn't as kind to its tyres. I think at the point before Max, you know, had his little incident with the, in turn four, I think Max was biding his time and waiting for Leclerc's tyres to sort of start hitting the cliff. Red Bull were very kind to their tyres, Ferrari aren't. We know this. We saw it in Miami. Max was biding his time, waiting for the tyres to drop off the cliff. We also said last week or not last week, sorry, in Miami, that Spain and Monaco are two tracks that look like they're going to suit the Ferrari more. So that would explain the Friday and Saturday pace. I don't think you can have a right off Max Verstappen there in terms of outright pace of the car. We saw that last season. Mercedes had a better car for much of the season and it didn't really matter when Max was involved. Um, Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think the scales have been tipped. I think Red Bull are still very much in control. You know, if they can get a solid podium finish in Monaco, I do think that's a Ferrari circuit out and out. But then the rest of the season, I think it's all it's all going to be Red Bull. I really can't see anywhere, especially when you factor in Baku, uh, Spa, Monza, anywhere high speed, it, it's a Red Bull circuit. We've got Interlagos as well, which is, you might look at that and think Ferrari circuit, but Red Bull have been so strong there. Yeah, I just can't. I just can't see Ferrari coming back now. I think this weekend was a weekend where they had their chance to really cement a position at the top, especially with Monaco next week because we know they're going to do well there. It's not happened for them due to reliability with Shaw. It's unfortunate, it really is. But I already feel like the season might be over in terms of the constructors. Yeah, I see your point of view, but I think if. And I think it's easy to get too carried away by last season because I think it was so exceptional as a year. Uh, not just in terms of, you know, exceptional, oh, this is really great, but also it was the exception to the rule. Um, but you saw these huge, these aggressive pendulum swings. 
especially coming into this point of the year between Red Bull and Mercedes last year. So I don't know. I wouldn't be so quick to 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 cast the the die on the season. But speaking of of, of, kind of Friday and Saturday pace, which Ferrari you know had, had plenty of this this weekend, there wasn't a huge amount to talk about from those two days. But two of the big stories were Lando Norris and his flaw, and also Mick Schumacher and his kind of rear corner fire, which set up uh, underwhelming weekends for, for, the, for the two of them. I mean, we'll, we'll touch on Lando first. Abby, he had all kinds of you know, difficulties, but still, I think, pulled it out of the bag to, to move forward and score points. What are your views on it? Well, first of all, in the driver's press conference, you could clearly see that he was looking unwell. His face was all red. So I did feel for the guy. And then in practice, he did understeer into the gravel patch, which did lead to a new floor, like you said, Sam. And it's come out that he has been battling tonsillitis all weekend and has felt incredibly unwell. And especially in the heat that Barcelona was, he did amazingly to finish P8. Yes, it was a fairly lonely race for the guy, but he did, um, considering the conditions that he was racing in and what he was feeling, he did really well. And I was really glad to see that he did manage to finish in the points. And what do you think that says of Daniel's performance because he went backwards and he wasn't ill. I don't know if he has hay fever, but Lando Norris also has hay fever apparently. So he was really suffering and the commentators were saying how bad they were suffering from it over the weekend. So yeah, what are your thoughts there before we move on to, to Mick and uh, you know, I'll let Cow lead with that because that was his, his one disappointment of the day. Um, he, Daniel had a good qualifying. He got into Q3, qualified ninth. That I was really pleased to see. But yeah, the race, he didn't really convert that pace into the race. He finished 12th today, which as a McLaren fan, I was a bit disheartened to see. I don't know whether he's struggling to get to grips with the car or still recovering from the effects of COVID that he had at the beginning of the season or what. But I would like to see him improve on his performance. I mean, Australia was a good race for him, his home race. He had a good finish. But the other races haven't been that great. So I'm not really sure what to think of Daniel. I would like to see him improve in the coming races and hopefully he can. I think he just needs more time to get settled in the car and actually focus on the racing. It's interesting you said focus there, Abby. Cal, before we move on to Mick, actually, do you think that this is part of a wider issue for the team at the moment? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I was just, I was just going to touch on the fact that in Miami they had um, James Corden, the late late show host on CBS. He popped into the team, and although it's great, it's great coverage for the sport. Like millions of people are going to see that online and fall in love with the sport because people love James Corden. Some people, some people here don't like him. I don't get why. I think he's really funny. Um, but yeah, I did. I I watched that video and I was just like, they're so distracted. They're so involved there. Like they're not doing what they should be doing. If that wasn't there, they probably lost. I don't know the team collectively in man hours. James Corden probably spent six, seven, eight hours getting the content he did for that video. That's six, seven, or eight hours of prep time 
McLaren lost out on G2 making a 15 minute all right albeit funny it, was it worth it I felt like they lost focus there and it wasn't just the drivers it was the pit crew it was everyone then coming into uh, Barcelona there was a little segment on Sky Sports just before the race with Lando and Daniel taking Natalie Pinkham and I can't think of a name I'm really sorry go on Abidino Rachel Brooks Right, so he took Natalie Pinkham and Rachel Brooks. They both took them out for a lap around Barcelona and sort of said, oh, this is how you drive it. Again, probably a 45-minute thing where they're not preparing, you know? I feel like they're doing too much extracurricular. I feel like they're losing focus. And unfortunately, I feel like the whole team is involved in that. It's not just the drivers. This could explain some of the poor results they've been having recently on top of having not the best car. I think they need to knuckle down and get their heads down and focus for me at the moment. It's just too much pissing about and trying to impress people on the internet. I hear what you're saying, but is this not part and parcel of modern Formula One? The media activities are a big part. And Daniel himself knows what it's like when you get that balance wrong. In 2019, um, his first race at Renault, he has himself kind of admitted that he didn't quite get that balance right. It was his home Grand Prix in Australia. And it was essentially over within a few hundred yards when he took his front wing off on the grass. So, yeah, it's, it, I hear what you're saying. But also, when you have someone like Daniel, who is going through a transitional point of his career, it's, it, things haven't been going the way he would have wanted to. I still fully think that he has all the ability that he he, he had in his Red Bull days. He's, he's matured. But this is part of his draw. This is He is the most marketable driver in the sport and I understand why they're why, why they utilize that I mean another thing I've just thought of as well Lando and Sainz went and played golf with Damon Hill it's like you know does it need to happen really was that a recent thing yeah, yeah, because it, was on, I... it was on the, the segment this weekend oh no I saw the segment but it felt a little bit like it had been filmed a, a while ago from either, some of the way, stuff Hill said it's, it felt yeah, a little bit either older. way it's extracurricular that, does he really need to do it do you know what I mean and I get it's marketing I get it's putting them out there and I get it's adding more fans but Jesus Christ McLaren let another team have a go you know Mercedes never do it when's the last time you saw Lewis Hamilton and George Russell pissing about on a golf course or taking Natalie Pinkham out on the, on the track for a, a drive around all right, they did it with Toto a couple of years back with Valtteri and Lewis. But since then, what have you really seen? Max and Checo. I know they did like their road trip to America thing with Checo, but Max was fully focused. They didn't take both drivers out of that equation. They didn't let the whole team be distracted by a fucking late, late show host coming into the garage and all sorts. McLaren just need to shut that door a little bit. Still do the marketing, still have the fun. But I feel like the floodgates are open for them. Any any man and his dog can walk in at the minute and film a segment with those guys and they're lapping it up. They need to focus. The results on track aren't enough to justify doing all the extracurricular they're doing. As I said, I I totally see your your point of view. I I get it. I think it's it's a more than fair fair opinion i personally as as a i say this as a lewis fan probably wouldn't use lewis as an example you know like he loves a parsi and a met gala and you know kind of his extracurriculars are are all through the you know you know all over the place he he is a seasoned professional who knows how to do that and knows how to he knows his balance he knows what he can do 
he knows his limits of his lifestyle and what he can bring and bring to the racetrack. Year after year, he's come and won championships, still having his lifestyle. Lando and Daniel, they haven't. Abby, what's your take on this? McLaren has always been about the marketing and the publicity side of it. And I think the two drivers they have now, the platforms that they have, especially to like the younger generations of fans, is huge. Daniel is well-loved by everyone. I don't know an F1 fan that doesn't really like him. And Lando, he's fresh talent, he's young, and he has Team Quadrant and he has he uses Twitch a lot and he streams. So he has that aspect to utilise as well. And I think McLaren do all these things to, yes, help people get to know the team and get to know the drivers, but just to put themselves out there and to help market and publicise, like you've said. But I do think they could do it a little less. Like Ferrari, they have both their drivers creating some videos and having challenges. And McLaren do that as well. But no one's gone to the extremes that McLaren have gone to. It's great doing all this. I'm a big fan of Lando. I'm a big fan of Daniel. I love McLaren also. They're the team that got me into Formula One back when I was a Lewis Hamilton fan, innocent and naive. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. (laughs) Well, Max Verstappen wasn't in the sport, was he? Oh, no. I very quickly changed the bet. Mind blown by that. Um, No, I think, well, to be fair, I think every young English guy into Formula One in 2008 was a Hamilton fan. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. Fair. I mean, just the the, the button as well. I love them. I love the team. I love the two drivers. But fans don't win races. Anthony Davidson as well. Another British driver in 2008. I think he was super aguri that season, I think. But yeah. anyway. The main point, though, <laughs> fans don't win races. Get as many fans as you want, but if you're not winning races, they won't be around for long. F1 is a cutthroat sport. We've had, fan, we've had fans on this podcast who have changed allegiances because yeah, a driver has moved team. A driver has moved team, they've followed the driver. Some people stick with the team, some people stick with the driver. You don't I, know I, who they're supporting here. Like, fans don't win races. I do think that F1, more than most sports, is a driver-led sport in terms of support. I don't change which football team I support, but when Thierry Henry left Arsenal, I didn't become a Barcelona fan. However, when Lewis Hamilton left McLaren, I became much more of a Mercedes fan. And I'd say the teams kind of take a, 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 a back seat for me, at least. But before we move on, um, I do think that this kind of the benefits of McLaren's approach, you see it with the the approach Lewis Hamilton's taken, the way Aston Martin, especially of late, it all plays into this wider platform of athletes standing for something and using that platform to essentially try and drive the change they want to see in the world. And Vettel was in question time, but Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo have, have done some really important things about mental health. And McLaren have partnered with Mind, um, which is the mental health strategy. And so there are some really, really important advantages to this. And I think it's a real benefit that they see past Formula One as just a sport, especially at a time when it's increasingly becoming a business. But I know that we've uh, touched on this for a while, and I did say that we'd get on to Mick. Um, So, Cal, your biggest disappointment of the, the weekend... Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, Mick, biggest disappointment of the weekend for me because I'm just dying for him to get points. Like, you know, you, you can see it in a young driver when they've got the potential and the desire. Like, it's clear and obvious. For me, I think, I genuinely believe the guy can be a future world champion if he's in the right car. Obviously, the car is so important to that. And it, I get, he was agonizingly close in Miami, agonizingly close today. He qualified, he got into Q3. I mean, come on, just give the guy a break, let him have a point, you know? And I think it's going to come. I really do. And I think Haas were the only team not to bring upgrades this weekend as well. That's a that's a big point to make. Every other team brought loads. You know, Aston Martin changed the whole whole car. They copied the Red Bull. But it, I think I think it's going to come for him, but it's extremely frustrating watching it, finishing 11 or 12 and, and knowing that car has the pace to be in that top 10. It's just, come on, Mick, like, make it happen, please. I think I'll cheer more when Mick gets in the point than if Verstappen wins the race on the weekend that it happens. The weekend after, like, he's gone, he's dead to me. But Verstappen will always be the guy. But you know what I'm saying? I'm excited for it to happen. I feel like it'll be a big moment in Formula One. I feel like it'll be the start of something historic. Yeah, I mean, and... I mean, for me, I weirdly, I, I see Mick and I'm kind of like, you know, yeah, I, I hope he does well, but I'm not like... Every week, I'm like, I really hope he gets points. I'm, I'm, I'm just not there. But one driver who has doubled his points tally for the season, a, a surprisingly brilliant drive at home, was Fernando Alonso. Abby, take us through his his race. Well, he had a rocky start to the season. And then obviously Barcelona's his home race. So he was looking to do well there. And he qualified 17th, which wasn't where he wanted to qualify yesterday. And then today he started at the back of the grid after taking a new power unit, give him an extra boost. But that means that he has to then work through the rest of the field on a track that you can't really overtake with. But he finished ninth. He finished in the points. Alpine had both drivers in the points. Yes, they did bring upgrades, but that was their aim. And there was one move by Alonso that stood out to me, which was when he overtook Vettel. And Alonso went on the grass and he overtook him. And that was an amazing move. Move of the race? Um, no. I'm going to say no. Verstappen outside of turn 12 on Bottas. Move of the race right there. Fair. I'm glad you mentioned Bottas, actually, because, again, I think he had a, he had a, a brilliant weekend. He, again, is outperforming that car. And Joe was unlucky in, in, in the race today, but he was a second off him in qualifying. There is a big delta there, and he, he's going to have to do something to kind of claw that gap, you know, claw some of that time back. Um, but yeah, Bottas, another just assured, comfortable drive, scored strong points. It's really staking a claim for the best of the rest of the season. He is so much more comfortable, I think, in that Alfa Romeo, and he has proven this season that he is an amazing driver, and you can just see that he kind of feels at home at Alfa Romeo more so than he did at Mercedes because he is yes he's racing as a team but he's kind of racing for himself he's not always trying to help Lewis he's doing it for himself and it is great to see him have these good performances in the races and finish high up so hot take inbound are you ready like 
make sure you see it when you listen to this, guys. Go on then. I think that if Signs continues to unimpress the Ferrari Mafia, they may bump Bottas up into that seat and bump Mick up into Alpha and let little Signs float off into the ocean just to be picked up by a straggling team. All right, but let, let, let's let's no, no, let's no, no, no. run no, no, with no, no. this. Before let's, you argue, let, think of no, it. Just think. Yeah, I'm, just fi- think. I'm thinking of it. But let's play this out, right? We because we need more details from you, Cal, here because I think okay. the details here will matter. Do Ferrari give Bottas security of a multi-year contract? No. Then you're going to have the same issue you had at Mercedes. I'm sorry. Yeah, but he dealt with that for years, and he I'm sure <laughs> for the he chance wasn't to strong enough. He, if he had the chance to compete again, and I mean properly compete in a Ferrari that is competitive, it is taking it to Red Bull, beating Mercedes, capable of getting race wins, all right, the Red Bull's very strong at the moment and he'd have to beat Max Verstappen, but he's going to have more chance of finally clinching that world championship than he ever would be in an Alfa Romeo. No, you tell me any dri- driver. Listen, you tell me any driver that would pass up the opportunity to be in a championship, potential championship winning car over sitting in a shit car and having a secure contract. If if he's doing that, if he's making that decision, he shouldn't be in F1. You had me until you said one year contract. Nah. I'm telling you now, any driver in F1 would take a one year contract with a championship winning car rather than a five year contract with a car that isn't going to win them anything. Guarantee you. If they don't, they shouldn't be in F1. Because every single driver in this sport thinks they're the best, thinks they could be world world driver's champion in the best car. Tell me I'm wrong. You know what? Maybe we need to get someone to do like an anonymous poll of the 20 of them and and put that question to them to see see what they'd say. Because there's more than just that to think about. But But back to the main point, I do think that is a potential option for Ferrari. If signs isn't performing to what they expect and Bottas is I think that offer will be on the table I genuinely do because let's bear in mind as well Mick Schumacher if he can finally get some points on the board and start impressing and I feel like he's getting closer to that as we just touched on they're going to be bumping him up to the Alpha I don't think he'll jump straight into the Ferrari I think he'll go in the Alpha for a season which is a you know fairly competitive car it can get points where do you where do you put Bottas at that point where do you put Guan Yu Zhou, you know, they're, they're going to have to move some people about to make that happen. They're not going to let Mick Schumacher sit in house forever. And um, I can I, honestly, I, I think Signs would be the one to go out of, out of the lot they've got at the minute. I really do. Abby, please be the voice of reason here. <laughs> um, I would want, see, I don't want Science to leave F1. I would want him to go to another team because I think he is a great driver. He just needs to get to grips with the car. That's his main issue this season. You know you know where he'll end up? He'll end up where? at Alpine when Alonso retires. That's where he'll go. What about Oscar Piastri? Piastri? And you, 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 just, this is, this just, is, this, <laughs> just this morning, you had Jack, Jack Duhan in the press conference saying, I only want to be, I, I only plan on being in F2 for a year. He's in the Alpine Academy. So, you have people who are after these seats and it's part of a wider conversation that me and Cal, one of the things we do agree on is that there are nowhere near enough seats on the grid and that there are t- there's too much talent that isn't getting an opportunity. Yeah. 
and this sort of argue, you know comes into this I mean yeah where would signs go I don't know maybe you'd have to take a year out we've seen Albon do it you know Albon's having a pretty good season comeback I, I don't know you never know what's going to happen I'm just saying Bottas is an option a viable option for Ferrari multi-year contract or not I think he'd take that seat I really do I agree that Bottas could be an option, but going back to Mick, I don't think he is quite ready to move up yet. I think he needs at least, well, one, I want to see him get the points for this season at Haas, but I think he needs an extra year at Haas just to gain that experience in F1. Yes, I would like to see him in Ferrari, but he won't go straight there. I think I agree with you that he will go to Alfa Romeo first, probably, and then Ferrari, but I don't think he's quite ready yet. Okay. Fair enough. I don't think it's guaranteed that he ever becomes ready. And I'm worried that they'll put him in the seat because of the name. He will. He'll become ready. And here's my justification a couple of years ago, Alfa Romeo were really poor. Yeah, finishing 15th, 16th, 17th all the time. Charles Leclerc was in that car. It was his driving style and his racing ability, his racecraft, his awareness, his pace in that car that got in the seat at Ferrari. Not the points on the board, not the results, because the car wasn't capable. No, Ferrari. He was was getting results. It was almost, and I say this with a huge pinch of salt, it was almost Senna-esque in the way he was dragging results out of a car that didn't deserve it. So he was getting points on the board. Okay, minimal, minimal points. I think that's fair to say. The point is, Ferrari aren't going to look at the table, the drivers' championship, for their driver acquisition. They are going to look. They are going to look at pure race pace and driver ability. And I think you've got to write off Mick's first season. You've got to absolutely write that off because that car was basically an F two equivalent. It was absolutely awful, not competitive in the slightest. All he really learnt was the circuits that F2 don't go to, let's be honest. He didn't really learn much else. He certainly didn't learn anything from the, the little Russian boy. You know, I see the potential there. This is my opinion. I do think Bottas is is a viable replacement for signs if Ferrari don't want to continue with him. Yeah, hot take. Hot take right there. Love it or leave it. Sam, love it or leave it, mate. I, I, I've I been proven like right already on this podcast, you know. So don't make me <laughs> no, come back like next season. I, re- I, re- I really do hope that later in the year, when Boss Boss to Ferrari gets announced, that we can go. You know what? Cal's got some freaky SPN type kind of sixth sense. Um, I often do. I often do. But none of it gets away from the fact that I am, I've always been skeptical of, of Bottas on race day, and I think he is having a sublime season. So I'm very much kind of eating my metaphorical hat on that one. Yes, you are. And may I just add, Bottas had fourth in the bag. The team didn't put him on the three stop strategy. Every other driver in the top six was. That was the difference today. He had the yeah. pace. He had That's, the pace. It was strategy that let him down ultimately today. So a very, very, very impressive result for Bottas today. And we've we've touched on pretty much everyone uh, at this stage. But quickly before I, I kick it to you both for your your race rating and your drivers of the day. Um, as we know, it was a Red Bull one two Verstappen Perez Perez another strong performance. I don't think you can really fault him. Um, 
Russell getting a podium, another brilliant result, followed up by Science and Hamilton. <sighs> if only Hamilton could have held on to that uh, that fourth, but you know, you live and you learn. And then Bottas, Ocon, Norris, Alonso, and Sonoda, who again outperformed Gasly this weekend. Interesting. Lots to kind of you know think about there as I move it over to you both for your uh, your race rating and your driver of the day. Abby, I'll go. I'll go after you. Okay. Um, my driver of the day. I can't decide between Russell and Hamilton purely because Russell did amazing at defending the Red Bulls, like we've already discussed, and he got a podium. And Hamilton, he had a very unfortunate start to the race, but he managed to work his way through the field. And at the end, my heart was in my mouth when there was the DNF risk for both Mercedes, but they managed it and they both saw the checkered flag. If I had to really decide, I'd probably lean more towards Hamilton. My race rating, I would say probably a 7 out of 10. Purely, yes, the second half wasn't that great, but the first half was really entertaining and really exciting because of the drama and the battles and the incidents, which... Could be down to luck, but I would say a 7 out of 10 for me, compared to all the races that we've seen this season anyway. So, I, I actually had Hamilton down as my driver of the day. He had, he had a fantastic race, albeit quiet, because obviously we've not really mentioned him this week. But yeah, fantastic drive from Hamilton, I must say. So, for the sake of indifference, I'm going to say Fernando Alonso. I feel like coming from the back of the grid to finishing the points ninth um, at his home GP... You know, fantastic race from Fernando. Couple of decent overtakes thrown in for the mix as well. Yeah, really impressed with him today. I feel like it's the race he needed to really kickstart his season. Race rating, I'm going to go with a solid 7.5 out of 10. Now, bear in mind, it's not as high as other GPs we've seen this season, but compared to Spain in previous years, this was a fantastic race. We must, must emphasise that. I do think I called it right with the um, the new regs helping improve the racing in Spain. Were we were we blessed with a little bit of incidents? Yes, we were, but I do think the racing has improved. Hopefully, when the regs have improved even further, Spain becomes one of the key the key races on the calendar that people look forward to because I feel like the circuit deserves it. Interesting because you know, and one for I think we'll say for the news podcast in a week is some of the logistics and the kind of infrastructure at the circuit de Barcelona, the Catalonia, has apparently not been all that great this weekend. So, yeah, we, we, me, you know, we can touch upon that uh, in a few days' time. But I'm going to go to my race rating first for the sole purpose of kind of continuing your point about the first half of the race being really, really strong. It was. It was, it was, and it was, you know, instant, it was like whatever it might be, but it was undeniably entertaining. What I'm a little bit worried about is F1 falling into that kind of trap that people kind of say about basketball, where you only need to watch the last five minutes, and F1 being, you only really want to watch the first half. And it always was kind of, you watch the start, and I think they're pushing out, but we've seen a few times this season a really entertaining first half and then quite a considerable drop-off, and it being maybe saved by a couple of incidents like Bahrain. Without the safety car, it was kind of done with uh, as a spectacle. So yeah, there's, there's, there's certain things that need to kind of, you know, 
hopefully will change. I don't know how you'd address that, but I'm just kind of throwing it out there. Cal, gone. You, you want to make Sorry, mate. I know, I know we're wrapping up here, but I've got, I've got a comment on this. I think this is down to the fact that these are new regs. The budget cap is fairly fresh. The gap between the top of the field and the bottom of the field hasn't closed up like we anticipated. I feel like if the midfield was closer to the front of the pack and vice versa with the bottom of the field closer to the midfield, I think we'd see closer racing for more of the race. I feel like what's happening at the moment is we get really you know, fast-paced action for the first half of the race. Everyone does their first or second pit stop and then it just settles down for a bit. They're conserving tyres, they're conserving fuel, blah, blah, blah. I think as the regs improve, as the teams improve, hopefully the gap becomes closer. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think this is going to be a two or three season sort of learning curve for the for the teams. Um, unfortunately, I think it's going to be a couple of years before we see ten, 20 potential winners on the grid. Um at the moment, there's probably two or three, isn't there? And I think that that number will go up in the next couple of seasons, hopefully. I certainly hope so. And I think you have kind of at least partially hit the nail on the head there that the, the field spread is wider than we were maybe anticipating um, or hoping for at least, uh, which, yeah, as we know, never really helps. But to kind of move back to kind of my race rating... I'm also going to give it a 7.5. I, I love it when me and Cal agree on things because it's, uh, it's it's few and far between, as entertaining as it is for, for everyone else. Um, but yeah, I, I very much agree that it is within a concept, the concept of, sorry, within the context of, it was a good, a strong first half of the race. It tailed off as we know, but by comparison to previous Spanish Grand Prix, it was very strong. So 7.5, I think, is fair. Driver of the day, I've got to give it to George. He provided the most entertainment, really strong result, converted on the pace that we saw over the early stages of the weekend for Mercedes. And that defensive driving, he forced Red Bull into strategy changes. And ultimately, yes, they had the pace. That's not surprising. And they could you know work their way around it. But yeah. A brilliant drive, and he's really, really impressed since taking that second. Sorry, the other seat at Mercedes. All right. Well, I think that's pretty much all we have time for. Um, so, thank you very much, Abby. Thank you very much, Cal. It's been a pleasure having you both uh, to join me today. Just quickly before I do let you depart, where can people come to find F1 takes and news? Well. That'd be formulaneurs.com, obviously, because we're mint and we do it right. And I tell you what as well, we also have a shop. And at this moment in time, I must stress, this is really cool. We don't often do this. We have 10% off your first order. If you use the code first order at the checkout, you can get 10% off. Now that's nice because that's probably eating into our profit margin quite a bit. So if you want to steal from us, that is the way to do it. Not that I condone stealing, but not many people like me, so that, that's, that's your way to get back at me. Go and get 10% off the merch. And also, guys, if you're watching on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, share it with your friends. Thank you. And uh, we are in the age of social media, so I assume that we do have other social media other than YouTube. Abby, where can you find us? You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at Formula Nerds. 
very much looking forward to uh, spending some more time with you in the week for our news from the Nerd Show, which you can catch on Wednesday evenings. Thank you very much. See you next time. Goodman, and you're listening to the fantastic Cut to the Race podcast. Hello, my name is Ron Mylander, and you're listening to the Formula Birds podcast. Hi, I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race podcast. Hi, I'm Jordan King, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Crofty. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go! Podcast Network.